If you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 1 together. Romans chapter 1. So thankful to your pastor for the invitation to come today and to share here with uh, the Cross City Church family. I was born in Africa, raised by missionary parents who went over in 1952, middle of five boys. Mama never had any girls, so God bless Mama. She had her hands full. And uh, four of us of the five were born in Africa. My eldest brother was 18 months old when mom and dad landed off the coast of Southern Africa, uh, taking a merchant ship out of New York Harbor and uh, took them several months because it had to stop at every port of call. Offloaded their four-wheel drive Dodge Power Wagon truck with all their worldly possessions. My eldest brother was 18 months old and they headed up into the country of modern-day Zimbabwe. And there they pioneered a medical missionary work. Uh, they went out 60 miles from the nearest town. Uh, our main road had been an elephant run. So uh, we used to joke as a family that we had to go back towards town to go hunting. We were so far out in the woods. And so that's where I was born and raised and grew up seeing the faith of my parents lived out in their missionary calling, for which I'm incredibly grateful. So when I was a junior in high school, I began to sense God's call in my own life related to this uh, missionary enterprise. And it's out of that that I want to share with you this morning uh, some things from Romans chapter 1, 14, 15, and 16 that I hope will be encouraging and helpful to you. And really today, the great question I hope you'll ask um, yourself is really, what does God want me to do about all this? You know, when it comes to this sharing the gospel, this is the theme as much as you can do good to every person, especially to those of the household of faith, is the theme. But what can I do based on who you are, your age, your experience, your training, your giftedness, your, your, your abilities, based on the resources God has entrusted to you? If, if he has a plan and he wants to use you for his kingdom's purpose, and I believe he does, then what does he want you to do? And I, and I hope you'll think about that in the course of the message. Just be asking yourself that question and asking God to help you hear from him what it is I'm supposed to be doing, okay? Now here's Romans chapter one, verse 14. Here's what the text says. I'm a debtor. I'm reading King James because I particularly like the way this word is translated. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, so uh, both to the wise and to the foolish. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. My wife, Leanne, and I found ourselves in a village on the backside of the Kalahari Desert named Maun, where we began our missionary calling 
You came to the end of the paved road, turned off, crossed the desert about 210 miles, arrived in that village when we first went there in 1985. We were in a hot country, desert climate, 110, 113 degrees in the shade in the summertime. The heat would radiate into the house. We had a concrete block house with a tin roof on it, no insulation. And it was just a hot place, you know, and the spiritual soil that we were working in was not very responsive. And at times I would feel discouraged in the work. I um, would go out, we were learning the language and speaking Setswana and uh, working amongst the Batawana people and um, struggling along. And, uh, you know, people were polite. They were very, very hospitable, but just not very responsive to, to the gospel. And I remember the feeling of discouragement having come there with this, with this anticipation, you know, that, that you preach the gospel, you know, and there's going to be people saved everywhere. And we weren't seeing that. And I, I was thinking, you know, is there another assignment somewhere else that would be better than this, you know, especially in the, in the midst of the heat of the summertime, I would think about like Switzerland. Don't they need missionaries in Switzerland, you know? And there's always some other place, but you know, the Lord just would not release us. And so then I began to ask myself the question, you know, the apostle Paul, when he was a missionary, his life wasn't easy either. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11:23 23 and following, Paul describes some of the hardships he went through. And he said, you know, he said, I've been beaten five times with the, 40 lashes minus one. He said, three times I've been beaten with rods. He said, I've been imprisoned. I have been stoned and left for dead. He said, I've been hungry. I've been in hardship. He said, I've been where it's cold and isolated and difficult. And I, and I thought to myself, you know what? It doesn't sound like he was having a good time. <laughs> and, and, I, and I then began to ask myself the question, where did I get this idea that if I follow Jesus, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. It's never going to be hard. I really react when I hear people make a statement to me that, that goes something like this. You know, being in the center of God's will is the safest place to be. Because friends, Paul's life was not safe. I mean, the deuce getting beat and whipped and stoned and put in prison. And I mean, that doesn't sound safe to me. He's on a boat to get shipwrecked. Now, I'll tell you, being in the center of God's will is the only place to be. Because no matter what comes your way, if I'm in the place of obedience, then I know that whatever comes into my life comes by his permission. Now, that's the difference. Uh, I was in Yemen and... Uh, I got into the middle of a huge demonstration of, of these very angry people. And uh, I'll tell you, being in that place, I, I knew this is not a safe place to be. In fact, uh, we were suddenly surrounded by uh, undercover uh, agents who, who, who tapped on the window and we rolled the window down and this guy goes, this is not a good place for you to be. And we're like, no kidding. And, and, and so they kind of surround us and pull their pistols out and waved it at the crowd and kind of walked us through and got us out of there. But I can tell you after that experience, I just remember having this again confirmed in my life. The only place to be is in the center of God's will for your life. 
Because in that place, you know, nothing will happen to me except by his permission. Now, friends, Paul, in this text, describes for us the thing that was motivating him. What was it that kept him pressing forward? And I needed to know that where I was, is, Lord, what do I need in order to keep pressing forward in a place that might be hard right now, but, but is where you want me to be? And Paul, in this verse, he says, you know, I am a debtor. In other words, he said, I owe something. I have an obligation. He said, there's something that is in my life and he said, because of what God has done for me, because he saved me and I was born into his kingdom, then I have an obligation or a debt to share this gospel with people who've never heard it before. And friends, this morning, if, if there's one thing I would love to underline in your heart, it would be that you carry also this debt. If you're a follower of Christ, you also have an obligation to the gospel or a debt to the gospel. And I'll tell you why I'm emphasizing that. We were in the northeast part of the country of Botswana. We were working amongst the Kalanga people. A friend of mine had come from that tribe and had gone to the capital city and he got his education there. And while there, heard the gospel through Scripture Union. And uh, he had a burden for the Kalanga people. And he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, my people, my tribe has never had a missionary in our history which was hard for me to believe because David Livingston came to Sub-Saharan Africa uh, over 100 years ago. But the London Missionary Society missionaries had bypassed the Kalangas, gone through Zimbabwe, up into Zambia, and sure enough, as I studied their history, he was right. No one had ever focused the gospel to share it with the Kalangas. 240,000 people living in a kind of uh, rural area between Zimbabwe and Botswana. So uh, he and I made a plan. We... we uh, uh, met on the paved road, turned off into the bush, went driving out through the forest and we're camping in the woods. And we were gonna go see the Paramount Chief one morning and uh, to get his permission to be there. And as we're walking through the woods, I looked off to my left and in the woods, about 30 yards off the track was a cutout in the forest where they had built a little brush cow pen to milk the cows in the evening and morning uh, for milk. And there was a lady in a cow pen on, on her knees and she was milking this cow. And she, she was looking at us under the belly of the cow. And I, as I looked over and got her glance, I felt this kind of tug in my heart. So I said to Benjamin, listen, there's a lady in the woods over there. Let's go share the gospel with her. Benjamin said, oh, pastor, look, you know, uh, she's probably just a uneducated peasant woman from the village up here. She's going to be embarrassed if we go over there. Plus, you know, we're, we're not from here. Obviously, I wasn't from there. Said, we're not from here. She's gonna be afraid. Let's just see the chief first. So I agreed. We went maybe three, four steps further and I looked again and she was still watching us. And I remember feeling this pull in my heart. And so I said to Benjamin, Benjamin, I just feel like the Lord wants us to share with her. I said, what do you think? He said, look, pastor, she's probably just a peasant woman from the village up here. But if you want to try, okay, I said, look, you call out a greeting in Kalanga. At least she knows you're from here. Then maybe she'll let us talk to her. So as we turn aside, she stands up, and he calls out a greeting in Kalanga. And then we move towards the cow pen. She stands up, and I said, ask her if I could tell her my story. So he talks to her a minute. She agrees, comes out from behind the cow. And I begin to just open the very simple truth of the gospel. And friends, the gospel is not complicated. It's profound, but not complicated. I mean, the essence of the gospel is 
that God created all human flesh. We were made in his image. And as image bearers, he has a standard by which we should live as the one who made us. But there's something inside of us that just doesn't want to live according to his standard. We just think, well, what does he know? <laughs> what does he know? What does he know? He just messing my life up. He doesn't know what's fun. He's just up there trying to mess things up. So we rebel against him and we disobey God. And the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And because we have sinned and rebelled against God, there's a separation between us and holy God. When I was a, a student at A&M, I was studying. See how I snuck that in there? Uh, when I went to A&M, I was studying anthropology as part of my studies. And it shows every people on the planet that have been studied anthropologically have one thing in common. They all have a form of worship. Which shows you what? The Bible is exactly right. God has written this into our hearts that he exists. Now, they may turn it and worship idols. They may, the moon or the sun or a mountain or a tree, but it shows you within us this desire to know and worship God. And we feel this separation from him. That separation is our sin. And as I'm describing this, Benjamin translating, I see the spirit of God comes on this woman's heart, begins to convict her. And when he gets to us, I said, Benjamin, I think, ask her if she wants to receive the gift of salvation today. He talks to her again. She agrees. And Benjamin leads her in prayer. Is this Kalanga woman amongst the first of the Kalanga to come to faith besides him? And then she gets through praying and she turns from looking at Benjamin and she looks at me and she starts to speak to me in fluent English. <laughs> Educated English. And, and honestly, Brother John, when I first heard those English words, I'm like, it's a miracle. I mean, you know, that's how missionaries, we missionaries, you know, we love that stuff. And so she says, says, I know you don't know who I am. She said, I have a master's degree from the University of Oklahoma. She said, I'm the chief instructor at the teacher's training college in the capital city. And then she made this statement. I was home this weekend. I was helping my family with the chores. And I knew when you saw me in this cow pen that you would think I was just a peasant woman from the village. And she said, I said to myself, if what those men have to say is so important that they would share it with me, it must be the truth. She became a leading worker in our work in Botswana. Now, why did I tell you this story? It's an incredible story. And I never, I tell you, it never ceases to amaze me when I think about it. But this, why isn't it up to us to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't? In other words, like today, if I was just in this auditorium and this was an auditorium full of lost people and I just kind of look around and I go, well, that lady right there, Miss Gloria. Now, you know, she is a nice, kind person. I think she needs the gospel. I'll just share it with her. I like her. That guy, past that John, are you kidding me? Mean as a snake? Man, I ain't talking to him about the gospel. He, he, who knows what he might do? He might get crazy or something. Okay, you see, the, you see the scenario. Why is it up to me to say, okay, Gloria, I'm sharing with you, Brother John. Psst, sorry, you're out, buddy. Oh, yeah, you young ladies. Oh, y'all look great. I'm going to share with y'all. Why isn't that up to me? Is that what God did to you? Now, I know you're not going to sit here this morning and tell me, Brother Gordon, God is so lucky to have me on his team. You just don't know. No, 
I bet, I bet if we had time, there are people in this auditorium who would say, Brother Gordon, if you only knew my testimony, man, I was sinking deep in sin. I was far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the seas, he heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me. And now safe am I. And you would testify today that you're a trophy of the grace of God. They see, if that's you, don't tell me you don't have a debt to pay. We have a debt to pay. But what I love about this text is that Paul not only says he has a debt, but he's excited about it. He says, as much as in me is, I am ready to pay my debt. In other words, if he sees an opening for the gospel, it doesn't matter what it costs him. It doesn't matter what the risk is. He says, I will charge through for the sake of the gospel. Friends, is that what in your heart today? Are you ready? Really, when you wake up in the morning, do you sense the sound of the trumpets of heaven calling you to the battle? Calling you the windows of heaven, speaking to you and saying, come and follow me. Take up your cross daily and come and follow me. I have a plan for your life. There's a place where I want to use you for my kingdom's purpose. Listen, it never ceases to amaze me how God does that. I was in a church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Uh, I met Granny Lois, 76 years old. She comes up to me after church, Brother John, and she says, could I go on a mission trip? I said, well, you look like you're healthy. She said, uh, I said, you got a passport? She said, no. Listen, friends, I think every Christian should have a passport. You tell me how you sing, wherever he leads, I'll go, and you don't have a passport. <laughs> and so Granny Lois said, no, I don't. I said, talk to your preacher. There's a mission trip next year. Granny Lois gets a passport and finds her way to Botswana on her first mission trip. What she hadn't told me was she'd never flown on an airplane Never been out of the state of Virginia. First trip, she's in Africa. Some people tell me, I, I, I'm afraid to fly. I'm like, they make a pill for that. That's no excuse. There's no excuse, friends. Granny Lois, first day, they're having an outreach into the village. They're meeting with a Baptist woman's leader from the local Francistown Baptist Church. Granny doesn't know anything going on, so she just gets an interpreter. She goes, sits on a log. There's a guy sitting at the end of the log while the team is meeting with the Baptist woman's worker. So she sits there and she says, interpreter, ask that man if I can share my testimony. So he talks for a minute and says, yeah. So Granny shares her testimony with this guy. And when she gets through, she leans over. He was the eldest son of the women's worker at the Baptist church. So she thought he was a Christian. So she leans forward and she goes, I guess you've already done that, haven't you? Meaning, you know, follow Christ. And he shakes his head no. And Granny goes, well, don't you think it's high time you did, young man? <laughs> and this guy has come under conviction. And Granny leads him to faith in Christ. What she didn't know was the youth group for years had been trying to witness to this guy. He was rebellious and angry. He was bitter. He would throw stones at the people who came to witness to him. Or he'd go in the house and lock a door so they couldn't. But here comes Granny Lois from Mechanicsville, Virginia. And God uses her to open the door of his heart. Friends, you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. That's why Paul says, I'm ready to come. 
And I want you to see some pictures this morning of some people whose lives were transformed by the gospel. Sometimes we need to be reminded that the gospel is powerful. You don't have to be ashamed of it. It doesn't need to be defended. I don't have to drag my heels. It just needs to be proclaimed in the power of the Spirit of God. This guy was on the island of Cuba. I was out there and met some folks. They're from the Santeria cult. They dress in all white. If you'll show that. Where is the picture? Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, They dress in all white, and and they're part of a cultic group that practices spiritism. And and, uh, this guy was one of their high priests. This is a picture of he and his wife. And I want you to just look at that guy's eyes. I mean, if you just catch a glimpse of his eyes. Now look at this next picture. Okay, now that's the same guy. I didn't Photoshop this. Go back. Okay, there he is. And that next picture, same guy. Do you see anything different about him? You know what happened? He heard the gospel. He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his wife got saved too. They came out of occultism. He's a Baptist pastor in Cuba. Isn't that great? That is the power of the gospel. I was in Brazil and I was having some meetings with the foreign mission board and uh, they uh, introduced me you know, to the uh, foreign mission board president, home mission board president and Fernando Brandao showed me a picture. He said, said, Dr. Ford, I want you to see this picture. And he showed me this picture. It was one of the most horrible pictures of a human being I'd ever seen. This, this body was just skin and bones and eyes sunk back in the head. It was a, a, a woman, her hair just disheveled and uh, her arms pockmarked from crack cocaine where she had been shooting up. He said, we found her in the gutter of an area of, of um, Rio called Crackerville. She'd been on the street since he was three years old. Body bruised, battered, and broken. And he said, okay, I want you to remember her. Went across the street. I was to speak at their chapel service at the Bible school. After the service was over, he motioned to this couple to come forward. And they came forward, and I met Maria. And he said, Maria, said you, this lady, that's her. Look at her. Look at that beautiful woman. Friends, what can take a woman out of the gutter, strung out on crack cocaine, skin and bones, life bruised, battered, and broken, and turn, turn her into that? She met this young man. They had taken her off the street, took her out to a farm outside of Rio where they nurtured her back to health, gave her good nutrition and food and shelter and, and, and protection and began to, to see her come back to life and then begin to share the gospel with her. And she came to faith and her life was changed. She met this young man. They got married. They went to Bible school. They graduated from Bible school, went up the Amazon River to spend two years sharing the gospel with a tribal group in the Amazon jungle. Friends, you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. I was at a conference in, uh, in Indianapolis sharing with a group of uh, deaf people. I'd never been to a deaf conference before. About 750 people in the room and the majority of them deaf. And a lady gets up to share, um, lead the music. And, and uh, as she gets up to lead the music, she kicks her shoes off. And I thought, now, this is my kind of meeting, man. We're going to have fun here today. And she gets up on the platform. Then she points to the media guys like that to turn the music on. They turn the music on. She goes like that. And they turn it up some more. And okay, I'm sitting up here on the front. I'm saying my ears were just about to get blown out. I'm like, man, I didn't know I'd need hearing protectors at a deaf convention. Man, this is unbelievable. 
And, and then suddenly she goes like that and then she begins to sign in time to the beat of the music. And I was sitting there and I suddenly, I realized she was waiting until she could feel the vibration through the floorboard of the platform on the sole of her feet. And I sat there watching that group of deaf people worship. And I tell you, the Lord just gripped my heart. See, it was my responsibility at that time to deploy missionaries around the world. And I'd never thought about this group of people. I just thought of deafness being a handicap. We, the hearing church, if we have deaf people in our community, well, we'll just make sure someone's out there to get the gospel to them. Then we'll bring them into church and let them sit with us and someone will interpret what the preacher says. But as I watched that, I realized, no, this is a unique people. They understand each other in a way we hearing people cannot understand. I realize that a deaf Chinese has more in common with the deaf Russian than they do with the hearing Chinese. That their style of worship, their worldview, the way they receive information, the way they understand the world in which they live is different to me. And as I was there and got ready to preach, I realized, you know what, Gordon? We need to send missionaries who are deaf themselves to take the gospel to the deaf in the world. And when I got up to preach and challenged them with that message, at the end, we ran out of cards at 75. Within two weeks, over 30 of them had applied to the International Mission Board to go as missionaries. And today, around the world, are about 28 missionaries who are giving the gospel to the deaf. If you're born in an Islamic world, you have no hope of paradise if you're deaf. It's considered a blemish. God won't accept you. Most places in the world, in Ethiopia, we met a group of deaf up in the mountains had been kicked out of their villages because they were considered unclean, without purpose. Well, after this, these missionaries went out. Some went into East Asia, and they met a group of 15 guys in a little commune out on the streets living in a slum area trying to make a living. They invited them to come to a retreat center. They took these 15 guys, went to a retreat center, spent some time learning their sign language and eth. Uh, they got the, the dialectical differences down. The rest of the week, they just shared the gospel with them. And at the end of the week, they asked these deaf men, what would you like to do about what you've understood? And this one deaf guy signed, I want to make sure I understand. Are you saying if I follow Christ, I never again have to fear the evil spirits that live in our land? Our missionary signed back, that's exactly right. This deaf guy signed back. That's the best news anyone's ever told me. Those 15 guys all came to faith. It's a communist country, so they weren't allowed to have a baptism out in a public area, but they found a a little pool of water in a quiet uh, area where people weren't around, and they had a baptismal service. And I want you to see the picture of this guy getting baptized, signing his, his testimony. Now look what happens after he comes out of the water. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Friends, the gospel is good. I think God wants to save everybody. Don't you? I just think he loves everybody and he wants to save everybody. But today, the invitation to salvation is in your hand. That's God's plan. He has put this invitation in your hand. He wants you to deliver this good news. 
You may deliver it across the street here in Euless. You may deliver it across the state of Texas or across the United States. Or God may tap you and say, hey, there's a, there's a young man sitting on a log over in Botswana. You're the one to give him the invitation. And you may do that for a week, month, a year. But what I encourage you to do this morning before you leave is just to say, God, if, if you can use me, if there's something I can do for you, wherever it is, whatever it is, if I can serve you and you make it clear to me, my answer is yes. And you lay your yes on the altar and then let God put it on the mat. Let him decide where you are the best person to live out your witness for the sake of the gospel. Listen, it's, it's been a great honor to be here today with you. I thank your pastor for the invitation and so grateful for, for your partnership in the gospel, the way this church through many years has supported and sent and prayed for and participated in gospel mission. But I know that in this auditorium here today, there's some of us who are sitting here that, that, that God may be stirring in our hearts or he may be preparing you for another phase of Christian life and service. There's something else he has ahead of you. And I wanna just, I wanna encourage you to just yield your yes to him. Say, God, whatever I can do for you, you make it clear to me, my answer is yes. If you're here this morning, You've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Oh, why don't you taste and see that the Lord is good? Give your heart to Jesus Christ today. Let him transform your life. This gospel is a good gospel. You're in for the greatest adventure of your life when you give your life to him. Whatever he prompts your heart to do, you respond to him as we have the invitation. Let me pray for you. Father, oh, you're a good God a loving heavenly father, everyone in this room, beloved child of yours. Don't let us miss your purpose. The greatest adventure of our life to wake up every day to the sound of the trumpets of heaven calling us to the battle. Before our feet hit the floor, we can turn our hearts to the throne room of heaven and we can have the calm assurance you are firmly fixed in the heavens. You haven't gone anywhere. History is running exactly on time today. You're never early. You're never late. We can trust you. And so every day, Father, we can just report for duty. We can just come and say, what's my marching orders for today? Let us get a fresh word from you every day. Keep our hearts warm towards you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let your hand of blessing rest upon each person in this room. May they walk in the highways of your holiness, speaking the word that would be most needed to those who hear it. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.